you know, one, one of the types of risky play is just from watching. And so I think that we're having influence on people who are just happen to be walking by with their, their dog and they see groups of people connecting and immersed in nature. And that can also have an impact that we have no idea what it is. The punch buggy itself is very cute and the children actively and joyfully pedaling on it, draw attention. They want to, people on the trail want to wave at them. All of a sudden, these parents or adults who have now had a facilitated experience in this park are more comfortable returning to that space, or they'll say, oh, I didn't know that this existed. So that's been a really good benefit. Hello, and welcome to the Earthy Chats podcast, where we're cross-pollinating environmental education ideas. I'm one of your hosts, Jade Harvey Beryl. I'm joining you as the Outreach and Events Manager for the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM and the Outdoor Learning Store, which is your one-stop shop for outdoor learning, equipment and resources. I also run Stoked on Science. It's an environmental education and consultancy business based in the interior mountains of BC. And I'm your other host, Ian Shanahan, the general editor of Green Teacher, an environmental education charity that produces a quarterly magazine, books, webinars, PD, and the podcast, Talking with Green Teachers. Let's get started. With community comes, you know, these these relationships and relationship to place, but also this idea of you're not working on something alone. You're a piece of a greater puzzle and a greater group of people that care about place. And that is a big responsibility to care for a place. And it is so, I think, affirming and energizing to know that there are is a community out there that that also cares for the same place that nourishes and sustains us. So welcome to this edition of the Earthy Chats podcast and we are delighted to have two fantastic guests with us today. Uh, we have Leah Jap of Sask Outdoors and Claire Miller who's joining us from Wildernook Fresh Air Learning and is going to talk to us about a couple of new ventures that are happening. So Leah lives on a small farm near Bethune, Saskatchewan with her husband and three children. They have wooden farms and they strive to direct market their healthy local food while at the same time regenerating the soil and environment. Leah's got a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry, a Bachelor of Education, a Certificate in Ecological Education, and is a recently certified forest school practitioner. Leah's latest venture is offering forest and nature schools in Lumsden, along with an open view preschool. And for the past 12 years, she's been the general manager of Sask Outdoors. She's the general leader with the Hillside 4-H Club and project leader for the Outdoor Living Project. And her and her family enjoy an active life of camping, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, hiking, canoeing, running, climbing snow hills, skating, tobogganing and swimming. So she doesn't really do much at all, uh, it doesn't sound like. Welcome, Leah. And Claire Miller is joining us. She's the founder of the social purpose builders business, Wildernook Fresh Air Learning, a new children's pedal bus initiative called the Punch Buggy Express. Cannot wait to hear about that. Best name ever. Right? It's so exciting. She's wired to design and facilitate innovative experiential learning programs and has received awards for Best Nature Business from Saskatoon's Nature City Festival, an outstanding school program from the Canadian Network for Environmental Education and Communication. 
favourite roles in her learning journey have included facilitating the Certificate in Ecological Education programme at the University of Saskatchewan, teaching in the Saskatoon Public Schools EcoQuest and Outdoor Schools programmes, and developing the Swale Education programme at Sylvia Federick School. You can find her outdoors, facilitating nature experiences, and connect with her online on Facebook and Instagram. We'll put some of those links into it. But welcome to you both. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. So you both know each other or have known each other for a long time. Can you, how did you meet? Where did, where, how did this come about? Yeah, we've known each other for so long that we have to remind each other how we know each other. Because I think, I feel like I've known Leah my whole adult life, it feels like. So Leah, can you tell us a bit about how environmental education has been a part of your world and then how you met Claire as part of that? Sure. Well, I grew up in a city. I grew up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and my family spent quite a bit of time camping when I was growing up. And I lived in a neighborhood where we sort of had a free range. So we would run around outside till the lights started to make funny sounds and come home. And then as a teenager, I got my family into backpacking with some reluctance on my parents' part. And then once I left home, they proceeded to stop that kind of wilderness adventuring but they indulged my interests when I was a teenager and so during my university time I participated in a program called Certificate in Ecological Education at the University of Saskatchewan and Claire was one of the facilitators of that program at that time and that is how we've met and our paths keep crossing as we're involved in this same wonderful world. I love that. So you were actually influencing your parents. You know, normally it's parents dragging teenagers, like, (laughs) get outside, come with me. So that's nice to see that slight role reversal. I must admit, I'm a little bit like that with my family as well. Like, come for a walk, you know, come and and be in the nature and I'll tell you about all the weird, you know, symbiotic relationships between algae and algae and fungi and lichen, you know, so it's like exciting. And Claire, so you're an educator of, of all ages then? Yes. So certainly, I think my similar to Leah, I got super excited or connected to nature from a young age. I grew up on a farm and some of the land was protected by Ducks Unlimited. And so we were sort of surrounded by wetlands. And I just had such a connection to what we called a slough growing up. But the salamanders, the garter snakes, the freshwater shrimp, just a strong connection to the land there. And I was super fortunate to have a grandfather that came out to garden and putter out in the yard. And so he was a major nature mentor for me. And that I think planted the seed. I never growing up wanted to become a teacher. My parents were teachers. I dug my heels in. I was like, there's no way. And I, similar to Leah, took the certificate in ecological education program. And it was hugely transformative for me. It was a 180. And I realized this is my calling. I need to become a teacher and I need to, you know, be focusing my role as an educator to help people connect, steward and care for nature. So that was, I guess, how I came to it. And I have taught plenty of time in the middle years, love sort of the the early teens. I also really enjoy working with grandparents and adults, as well as since the birth of my son six years ago, 
sort of renewed interest in the, the little ones. During my master's at York, I focused on intergenerational learning and including grandparents and grandchildren. And so just discovered, I think, so many beautiful possibilities for, for situating learning within relationships and having those grandparents involved and, and how, I guess, wonderful the world of early childhood ed is in outdoor and environmental learning. That's beautiful. I love this idea of mentorship both you know and educator and being a teacher and how different words have different weight behind them and my husband's family are all teachers his parents are both teachers all of his siblings are teachers and he had a little bit of that same thing of like ah I'm not sure I can be a teacher and now he he does a lot of practical outdoor skills and teaches ropes and and all of these kind of things and he just had to find his way but sharing knowledge is such a powerful tool for transformation both for the person that you're with and for yourself. I think Ian and I both have these feelings when we share things that, and Leah as well, I can see you smiling in the background. It's more than just, here is this information and absorb it and regurgitate it. And I feel like that's where in outdoor learning, it's so important. Absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, we're just doing a lot of having conversations, Lee and I've had this conversation about like, what's the right length of time to have that, you know, experience? Cause we do one day, we do repetitive, like weekly or going for something where you're immersed for multiple days, just kind of exploring, like how do you have the most, I guess, create the conditions for the most opportunity for personal transformation. And I think as educators, we're continually like testing and reflecting on that. I think actually that ties in, we have a lot of, or we run these virtual workshops online, right, that are free and always will be, that dive into some of the resources that we have in the store. But what we're hearing as well is that, or the educators I'm speaking to, that, you know, it's one-offs are fantastic and you might learn and you might get a few things to take with you, but it's this continued sort of returning to learning and, and, and having this sort of conditioning of practice that's why we keep doing things seasonally and topping up and reconnecting do you feel like you I mean from your bios clearly both of you have have continued your learning but Leah like how has that journey sort of evolved for you in your professional development well as you mentioned in my bio I just completed the forest school practitioner course and worked into there was quite a bit of reflection and I got a lot of value from that feel like when I took my Bachelor of Education, that wasn't as much of a thing as it is now in that those kinds of programs, but taking the time to reflect on the stories and the experiences and, you know, how I was relating to the participants and they were relating to each other has really helped those experiences stick with me more, I think, because I've taken that extra time. I was also thinking when you were talking about the repeated experiences or what like the best program length is of how we develop relationship with place and with the land and how one-off programs, which can be great and very influential, like you said, Claire, are different than when you're visiting the same spot multiple times over seasons. And I think there's a lot of resources out there that follow this returning to place and seasonality, like off the top of my head, like Jaden Rodenberg, Jacob Rodenberg's The Big Book of Nature Activities is seasonal and you and you go back to the same tree and you build a relationship with it and you connect with it and look at changes and sort of track that and, and build that that mind. And then also just to see what's alive or what's what's happening in that space. For you, Claire, did do you have 
new things that have happened in your personal development in the last little while? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I previously was teaching in integrated programs that taught along ecological and social justice themes. And we had the same group of students, sort of 24 to 28 students, either grade eight or grade 11. And, you know, that, and then you were teaching curriculum. And so I think that was absolutely fabulous because you've got those same students and you work with them all year and so we were biking or backpacking or canoeing we're going further afield and so that I think lended itself to so, facilitating so many transformative learning experiences and we became such a mobile classroom and then there's this other side that has really working on in the last five or six years which is you know working within what is place-based education look like or nature-based education look like for a baby? What does it look like for an 80-year-old? Like just asking these questions and trying to solve these problems and like, okay, well, if we need, you know, we want to have at least two hours of nature time a week, how do we you know, allow that for a busy family? And so within Wildernook, we've developed a, you know, pick up and play after school program where we get the kids from the school and we walk them to a, a naturalized space and we play with them there the pedal bus which I'll talk about so I think this real passion for designing solutions that are going to allow opportunities and accessibility for people like largely children uh, for them to get hooked on nature is our, our saying but I think it's a lot of sort of social engineering for people to be able to say yes to and make it really easy for people to be able to say yes to sending their kids outdoors for a few hours at a time. And so pretty excited about that. And so, yeah, it's just an, a newer development in my life to be looking at what is, you know, how can I take from design thinking and apply that to nature education? What does that look like? We want to, you know, get this demographic sort of connected. How do we do outreach to them? What does it look like? And then is it viable from a business perspective? So cool, nature for everybody. Hello listeners, this is Ian. I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a registered charity in Canada serving environmental educators in Canada, the US and overseas. For only $32 a year, you can subscribe to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. Before I jump into this next bit, uh, starting with Leah, I want to ask about the license plate slogan. This is me completely going off script. Not that we have a script per se, but land of living skies. Is it more to do with clouds, sunsets, or geese? Or maybe it's all of them. Maybe it's all of the, it probably is all of the above. It doesn't have to be one or the other, I suppose. To me, when I, I think of it's about sunsets. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. But I don't know if it's actually about any thing. Perhaps clouds. I've never thought about it in the context of geese. I know the snow geese are quite impressive when they move through the sloughs, as as Claire, I'm sure, is very familiar with the various waterfowl. Anyways, I'll get back on script here. So there's lots happening with outdoor learning in Saskatchewan in general and Sask Outdoors. So Leah, can you take us into exciting new initiatives in outdoor learning with Sask Outdoors and beyond? 
Sure. Sasco Doors always has something on the go. Mm-hmm. And it it's very fluid, which is one of the things that I like about the organization. And I think our focus in the next few months is connection in real life. So we did, I think, a good job of pivoting and moving to online during the pandemic. <laughs> oh, yes, that word. That word, yeah. And we intend to continue with our virtual offerings because we have that they have made some of our programming more accessible to people around the province and the country who who just don't have the capacity for whatever reason to gather in person but we also think that there is a a hunger and a need for getting together in person again we're looking forward to a a couple of in-person things coming up i take some of my inspiration from the columbia basin environmental education network so we are modeling some of our upcoming things off that wonderful work there's always something but i think that's all i can think of right now as difficult as the pandemic obviously has been in so many ways, do you think it provided opportunities that maybe were not foreseen beforehand that are opening up doors that are now available? I do. Like we spend some of our time delivering Project Wild, Project Wet, those kinds of resource workshops. And prior to the pandemic, we would never have thought that we would do it virtually. We thought that this was something that you had to do in person because to get the full experience and have the hands-on experiential learning as the adults taking the programming needed to happen in person. And I think we've adapted and found ways that we are perhaps have a different impact, but an equally valid one when we're presenting those programs virtually. And just the diversity of people who have been attending those programs has been really encouraging. And the engagement, uh, like it's still a work in progress, but we're we're getting better at engaging people virtually. It's a continual learning experience. And you have your podcast as well. We do have a podcast. Yeah. Podcast has been on a little bit of a break, but we are just starting to record some more episodes. So we're going to be releasing those in the fall. And I myself am a big podcast listener, so I think that that's one of the ways that I get a lot of information. And so I hope that that our listeners find them equally as valuable. Absolutely. Claire, you've touched on Wildernook Fresh Air Learning, but can you take us a bit more inside the ins and outs of it? Absolutely. Well, it started off with me. I was breastfeeding my son in a recliner and had (laughs) all these ideas, and I kept thinking about you know, intergenerational learning and had this need to take that idea and apply it here in Saskatoon. So I started off with nature grandparenting, but was kind of advised, you know, you you shouldn't do business plan just on nature grandparenting. That's so narrow, go a lot broader. So I did. And I'm glad I took that advice because we have been able to offer all kinds of programs to different demographic group and grant nature grandparenting is, is still going strong, but we offered camp every week. So we had an art and ecology camp. We had an outdoor skills camp. We have one called summertime play ventures where it's a forest school camp. So we were running straight through the summer and uh, during the fall, winter and spring, we have weekly programs such as Nature Play Care, which is a drop off for a school program, Nature Grandparenting, Nature Tots, as well as skiing programs and winter break. So that idea of continuous opportunity to have regular nature time into especially Children's Day. So a lot of the programs are, you know, two to three hours a week. So then that cumulatively really adds up if you have a 13, 14 week program. We're also doing 
consulting services for organizations such as like the city of Prince Albert or schools. And so recently we worked with the city of Prince Albert to host a day camp at Little Red River Park, which is a forested area, a really gorgeous forested area north of the city. And they bust their playground staff out. And so Wilderness provided training and the, the plans for the day and kids were bust out and we had a really fabulous day of learning. So we, yeah, we, we offer that consulting services. And then most recently we've launched the children's pedal bus called the Punch Buggy Express. And so we're very excited because it is kind of a fun and first ever in Canada project that has provided a lot of learning, but a lot of like enthusiasm around active transportation and children, I guess, visibly and joyfully having active transportation options between some pretty sweet child destinations in Saskatoon and it's right along the river so it's that's where a lot of our energy and excitement is is sitting right now yeah on your website it calls it an outdoor learning experience and we're all I think Mm -hmm. probably all of us in this field of work are all about creating these signature experiences creating these moments what makes this experience stand out? I mean, obviously going along the South Saskatchewan River, I would imagine is very nice. And I, I'm assuming it is the South Saskatchewan River. Yes, indeed. A, a fine river indeed. I've seen pelicans along there. Yes. So a few things stand out. I think a big one is just the joyfulness, participating in sustainable transportation in, in such a joyful way. The punch buggy itself is very cute and the children actively and joyfully pedaling on it, draw attention. They want to, people on the trail want to wave at them, say hello. It really feels like they're in a parade. And so they're feeling a sense of pride and celebration around sustainability, which I think is needed. Climate change is, you know, hard news and hard to process. And so it is, I think, a very refreshing example of, you know, infrastructure designed and an option designed for children. Children feel feel pride from getting themselves actively to their destination. And certainly they're being, you know, slowed down. We're traveling at a slow pace and it's all open around them. And we're surrounded on the one side, I shouldn't say surrounded, but we're following the river. And there's, you know, while it is a built urban environment, there is still quite a bit of biodiversity and the river acts as a wildlife corridor. So we are seeing, you know, a shrew the other day, we stopped and got off and and watched the shrew. We see the odd garter snake, plenty of pelicans where we've named some of them Pelly. We've, (laughs) you know, we're studying the pelicans, discussing, you know, they're eating, where they're nesting. So it, it is a little bit more of a, I think, say Parks Canada style interpretation which is significantly different than a learning experience than say unstructured play where children are yeah. leading and directing their play and it's emergent. So it's, it's very different, but I think we still have some pretty wonderful learning moments where we're learning based on what we're seeing and experiencing in the place at that time and just slowing down and drawing attention and noticing yeah, what the, what's happening in the ecosystem at that particular time. And once you get to the destinations where these activities are happening what are some of the resources that you use so i think i'll just clarify that we are providing a transportation and interpretation service on the way and then there are destinations such as like the reme art gallery the children's wonder hub so we are an experience that helps people leave their car parked 
and spend the day along the river and not need to be like driving and whatnot in between and they can just spend the day ah gotcha but certainly when we're working with groups in our regular wilderness programming we have our backpack stacked with our prioritized sort of teaching tools and those might be like blindfolds and shovels and tent pegs and we have these awesome viewfinders that we ordered from the outdoor learning store which have been so excellent for looking at you know whether it's a ladybug or you know a large ant but for examining and seeing them up close so it's, what are those sort of easy to grab portable items that are handheld that we can transport with us that make the cut into our backpack and so those are I guess some examples of ones that regularly make the cut for us Excellent. Yeah, I've got one of those viewfinders just in the room right next door here, and it's wonderful for viewing insects in particular. For sure. Ours get a lot of views. So are the children supervised on the bus, or is it just a free-for-all of peddling power? That is such a good question. So we definitely wanted to bring an adult with so that when they arrived at their destination, we weren't dropping a group of kids off on their own. So we have two adult seats at the back. It's actually the bus seats 10 passengers plus the driver and two of those seats are adult sized seats we also have a bench for two children non-pedaling seats in the front which is great for sort of the three to five year old range and that way adults travel with us and they can take the kids on to the next destination but the main disappointment is people on the trail that see us that want to book it just for adults and they're disappointed that they can't book it just for themselves. Like there's a lot of interest from adults that want to just book it for their own use and think it's unfair that the kids have one. It's, it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> it's kind of a nice problem to have. Exactly. The kids have all of the fun and we're off on the sidelines. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well, maybe there needs to be an intergenerational punch buggy express. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously it's not just about his you know I feel like it's wonderful the kids are getting you know physical exercise there's this mental capacity of of being kind of in charge of their own adventure or being responsible for getting themselves to this place even if they do have a guide which I think is a great idea (laughs) and then you know maybe the social and emotional teamwork that they participate in as they're doing that and then the sustainability of what you're doing so they are moving from place to place absolutely Leah, how does sustainability fit into the work that Sask Outdoors does? Is that a part of what you're doing too in different ways? I think it's one of those things that's ubiquitous throughout all of our programming. We're not maybe as explicit in the recent years using that word sustainability. I think the word is a little muddled sometimes. And so I think that the work that we're doing is supporting that without blatantly saying that that's what we're doing probably partly unintentional that we've just migrated in that way but I think it's the right place for us to be in right now that we're supporting sustainability without being quite so blunt about it and making maybe making the experience more organic and people are arriving at these maybe changes or ideas without being just told this is what you should do. And that's what's so interesting, isn't it, with this? Just what I'm loving is the diversity of ideas of how we can integrate climate change solutions or sustainability or, you know, ecological knowledge into different programs and the way that 
like you say, as with kids, it's like, here's this fun experience. Come and pedal with all your friends and go and see cool places. But that sustainability and sort of lesson is underneath there. And I, I think I'm really empowered and excited by how much diverse work is going in that when we teach kids to care about the environment or teach kids to love it and have wonder with it and be excited then that leads to sustainable practice as they grow up into decision-making people so that's really exciting all of the resources featured in this podcast plus many more for students and educators alike can be found online at the outdoor learning store visit www outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer. From waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We're Canada's non-profit resource store. We are the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM. You can visit our website at cbeen.ca. We are the regional network for environmental education in the Columbia Basin, supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources, information, professional development and networking opportunities. Claire, you talked about you've got this sort of grandparenting opportunities and you're even down to nature tots. You've talked that intergenerational learning is so important. Sort of how do you think that that impacts sort of the world around you when you're when you're connecting with all of those different people? Or does it connect into your community more as well? Your Absolutely. Yeah, I think that we, I, I think a, a really important reminder for myself as an educator is, you know, it doesn't need to be me that is the teacher. The land is the teacher. The community members can be the teacher. And with nature grandparenting, nature, you know, baby, nature taught, it's really providing that outreach and that support and the invitation and the supportive community to, I guess, nurture them in their role, the adults in their role as nature mentors. And so we very much consider these programs as a Kickstarter to then have nature mentorship be part of their relationship with the child. And so it's very much an invitation for them to step into that nature mentorship role. And, And maybe they already are, but it's how can we have that community and of nature mentors gather once a week. And then we're providing ideas, we're providing opportunity for them to practice as, as well as, you know, I guess, establish that habit of weekly nature time with grandma or with mom or with auntie or uncle. We have, I think, a lot of possibilities within our family or people we are, who are similar to family to be shoulder tapping and reminding them, hey, you could be a great nature mentor for, for the child. And then that, I guess, nurtured relationship doesn't need to exist within the confines of a facilitated program by Sasco Doors or Wildernook. It can be, we're just helping establish and build the confidence of those adults and those nature mentors. And then it can continue to grow from there. And I've had numerous parents and grandparents come back and thank me and say, we still go visit our special rock. We still go picnic. We still, you know, go and visit this bird or we, I don't know, but they have 
establish that pattern. So hopefully I've answered your question, but I, I really do think that setting people up so that those relationships can continue and it becomes part of their family tradition is shaping our community. And it's definitely work we're proud of. That's lovely. Can I add to Claire's answer, Jane? Yeah, totally, Leah. One of the things I really like about wilderness programming is that in my experience, it's often in a public space or a public park. And I, I noticed I, from my experience, there's other people in that space also who are then watching what's going on. And I really think that that's also a way that you're providing or we're all providing education through our, our work of there's, you know, one, one of the types of risky play is just from watching. And so I think that we're having influence on people who are just happen to be walking by with their, their dog and they see groups of people connecting and immersed in nature. And that can also have an impact that we have no idea what it is. Filtrating out into the environment. I've also run summer camps and things in, in public park spaces and, and had <laughs> other children and things join in or, you know, or, or come into the periphery and then, you know, parents be like, oh, you know, what's happening there and, and being excited by it. So does it have to, and we talk about parks, like some parks are not, you know, they might have a tree or it might just be a flat piece of grass or maybe it's lacking in what we might term or what we might envision as nature can you share Leah a little bit about why this work is important not just in like big open natural spaces but in urban spaces as well I'm so glad you asked one of the things that Saskia Doors has been involved in for the last couple of years is called a it's kids club in Regina Saskatchewan and so we visit different parks like manicured parks they're mowed and there's planted trees and we go to different parks every however often the program is and we found through that that often participants only go to the parks that are nearby or that they know about in this particular program parents or another adult attends with the children so it's a family or group a multi-generational experience and from our research or questions afterwards all of a sudden these parents or adults who have now had a facilitated experience in this park are more comfortable returning to that space or they'll say, oh, I didn't know that this existed. So that's been a really good benefit and perk of exposing people to these different parks and outdoor spaces. And in Regina, there's some that are, you know, more manicured and some that are more wild. And I think you just adapt your activities and I always tell people, you know, I get lots of questions about schoolyards because I work with a lot of teachers about, oh, I just have this schoolyard and there's a playground and it's paved and, and to provide, you know, looking closely, some of those activities or resources from the outdoor learning store are great in those kind of environments because I, well, I always say like there's probably birds there and there's bugs and small things and you just need to take some time and look around and we, I don't think, and, and not minimize that experience and think that to have an outdoor experience it needs to be this grandiose trip to a natural space that there is equal benefit of nearby nature and connecting to the places that we are so wonderful and yeah the looking closely thing there is a kit for it but it's also just an expression of slowing down and 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 you know you're looking at scale you're looking at different materials what's natural what's not natural and Gillian Judson's the walking curriculum does this it has a you know a cracks walk where you follow cracks and look um or a vertical walk where you can use it in a really urban environment and look up structures and if you are using nearby nature and going to different places but that are within your area you know a lovely or an unlovely walk where you start to assess 
what it is that you like and don't like and why. And so it's not a judgment and it's not a, a negatizing things, but it's what, you know, what is my emotion connected to this and what would I like to see or not? And then I often have turned that into a physical project with kids where we use recycled materials to build a city of the future where they get to choose what that looks like and what it's in always like the biggest zoo like there's there's always a massive zoo or like nature like you know yeah safari park um and i'm like cool cool we're just as long as it's you know there's some native species in there just like cutting out pictures of like giraffes okay not sure that toronto is the right spot but no it's really interesting to see how being in any space can stimulate thought about it and reflection which again i think is so important Claire, did you have anything you wanted to add into there? Like, because your Punch Buggy Express is sort of, is it in an urban environment? Absolutely. It's in downtown Saskatoon. And, you know, I think it it's great to challenge this idea of where, where children can be learning outside. You know, sometimes ditches are ripe with biodiversity. The bluffs of trees that are kind of between parking lots are like rich learning spaces. And then we're in downtown Saskatoon, which feels kind of, you know, like shiny towers and people in suits some of the time. And, but it is a fabulous place for kids to be learning. And there is a lot of biodiversity and it is, I think it's just claiming and changing the narrative of where learning can happen because we have these old ideas that need to be shaken up. And I think the punch buggy helps to have that conversation about, yeah, this is a great learning place for kids. And we just need to keep bringing kids to different places and having them visibly and not just kids, but just, you know, the types of learning can be dip netting and maybe there's people in their business suits having a meeting and that can be you know 10 meters away and that's okay I think it doesn't need to be this silo where school learning happens away from you know the rest of the world it can be very much visible and sharing space so where we are rocking the downtown but with that comes another you know with environmental and outdoor learning you're you have these factors such as your eye to the weather, your, you know, eye to the season, the daylight, the, all those things. But then when you are in a more populated area, we're also looking at, okay, well, is the, this festival on maybe we can't be here because there's going to be too big of a crowd. So it does add another factor that you then need to, I think, navigate is, is the, one of the challenges. Yeah, it's very much community-based. I think just inherently outdoor and environmental learning is community-based. And that's sort of been a common thread that has run through the various episodes of Earthy Chats that we've done here is community collaboration. Stoked on Science, providing engaging, educational and fun programs across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organisation looking to develop your environmental programming? Connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum or engage your students or teachers with unique programmes that go beyond the basic science topics, like delving into the history of the earth, how it's changed and where it's going. If so, visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programs for your K-12 and adult professional development courses. Starting with Leah, I mean, what is it about outdoor and environmental education that just inherently lends itself to community collaboration? Because we just see it coming up again and again and again. 
For me, I think it comes from the idea that when we're outside, we're connecting the land and the space that we're in. And mm. and so that then it's just a, a more natural extension that we're also wanting to connect with with people and other living things that are sharing that space with us. It's true. I mean, it's the human world and the other than human world. And when you're outside, ipso facto, you are connecting. I mean, it, it, it just is, period. I know that seems very pretentious and social media e <laughs> of me to <laughs> phrase it that way. But it, I mean, that's what being mindful in the outdoors really is at its core. Anything you want to add on to there, Claire? I see you nodding in agreement. I think there's a few things. I think with community comes, you know, these these relationships and relationship to place, but also this idea of you're not working on something alone. You're a piece of a greater puzzle and a greater group of people that care about place and that is a big responsibility to care for a place. And it is so, I think, affirming and energizing to know that there are is a community out there that that also cares for the same place that you know nourishes and sustains us. So I think this common experience is you know is so important and and it seems so meaningful for us to realize. And so we need those opportunities, especially you know coming through this pandemic where we've been a bit more isolated, mm-hmm. to not just be you know individuals connecting to nature, but con- communities that are rooted in in our nature. In other ways, through the pandemic, how has community collaboration made the coping process easier? So something's coming to my mind, but I'm not going to answer this question directly. <laughs> That's okay. We'd be disappointed if you did. Open-ended questions have yeah. open-ended answers. This is a place for just going off into the uh, the ethosphere and having yeah. a little conversation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The ethosphere. I like that. That is definitely a made-up word. So there's a group of individuals who meet in Saskatoon and we gather and we support each other with regards to like climate change and mental health. Mm -hmm. And so we intentionally get together each season and we're a supportive space where we can talk about our, our mental health and how to support our mental health, you know, in the, in the face of, of, you know, the grief that we feel about climate change. So I think that was what came to mind, but I'm not sure that I'm (laughs) answering it. No, that's, that's your (laughs) honest answer. And of course that is top of mind for so many people that have this strong connection with the land. And I think everybody does to an extent, but for some people it's more top of mind than others. And maybe we weren't able to meet up in person, but that community collaboration has certainly allowed us to move through the pandemic and also face the challenges that lie ahead, which of course are significant. How about you, Leah? What has community collaboration done for Sask Outdoors and moving through these challenging past couple of years? I think it's been nice to be able to reach out to people. I'm thinking actually not, I'm not going to answer your question either, not specifically about the pandemic, but you know, this has had me reflecting on my mine and Claire's relationship and I remember Mm -hmm. I don't even know when it was a while ago I was giving a presentation like the next day to a group that I hadn't presented to for a while and I phoned her and I was like what do I do and um, so just to be able to talk through some of those ideas and have that validation and ideas and collaboration uh, has been really helpful because sometimes this work can be somewhat isolating 
I've always worked from home for Sask Outdoors. So, you know, working at home in my basement is gets tricky after a while. And so to know that people are out there who are supportive is instrumental. Yeah, I think with during the pandemic, we all knew that educators were working really hard to try and still be providing some, you know, amazing learning experiences, but that we were, you know, just putting extra energy in and we, the future was unknown. And so those conversations where we, yeah, where we were reaching out to each other, people were so supportive and responsive and I think able to, you know, help people reach that next, you know, a little tips, I guess, how to, how to achieve their goals when we're moving things online. And so I think it's been really great in terms of Sask Outdoors because they have so much more experience in a number of different areas working province-wide, whereas Wilderness is quite small and very local. So we're nimble and we've maybe got more experience in a few different areas working with whether it's age groups or designing. And so it was, it was nice because we're such a small staff. And I think because we, similar to Leah, you know, you spend a lot of time for yourself, have that sounding board and that open conversation fully knowing that we really are working towards that same goal of, of developing this community and providing opportunities for nature connection and stewardship. Well, this is all helpful advice and useful insights for everyone moving forward because we're not out of the woods with the pandemic. And as I mentioned before, there are many other great and often wicked challenges still ahead of us and we can manage them, but we need to have a firm process in place that is grounded in community collaboration. It's the only way through it. Absolutely. Totally. From a personal experience, a thing I noticed about my community through the pandemic is that our sort of online forums were blowing up with a lot of like very strong opinions and and maybe even some negative things. And then simultaneously, I saw that some of our like very accessible walking paths, for example, ones that are paved, that are, we have this beautiful green belt that runs along the river and the and the wetlands we have were incredibly busy. And actually lots of people were going outside. I'm like, okay, cool. And then, you know, I, I was inspired by a lot of different project ideas in different books and by Juliet Robertson, who wrote Day Teaching, but I saw that there was this this need for some sort of shift. And so what I've been doing with the kids is that I've done a couple of recent projects where they've made like interpretive signage and we did ones where they recorded like these like who am I guessing games about what animals you might see based on clues or kids talking about the landscape evolution in a very simple term of how this you know valley was created and then collaborating with the Greenbelt Society that manages these trails. And so it's like a QR code and it's just about to be printed. You scan the QR code. Um, so anyone with a phone, whether you're a tourist or a local, uh, can then get interpretive signage. And it was created by the children in their communities. There's this great sense of pride in what they've done. And the other thing we had was a lot of people complaining about things like, you know, people just sitting idling with their engines on outside buildings so we worked with like our high school am eco club and science group and they made and and our city of revel so they did a collaboration where they designed posters they were given what the exact sign needed to look like and it needed to have city of Revelstoke. but the kids designed the no idling signs which had some cool phrases and stuff and now they've gone up in key areas around the schools and it's just like with if there is a problem with collaboration and connection 
you can actually solve it. And so what you've got is a lot of people who were complaining about things who are now seeing that actually the young'uns are helping to facilitate change and development. And I don't know, I've just had a couple of really nice outcomes that have, you know, helped me shift my mentality or and I think shifted the mentality of some people who were kind of caught up in pandemic stress on the internet in their Facebook groups. <laughs> yeah, go Claire. Well, yeah, absolutely. One thing that was kind of neat about the pandemic was that it was a catalyst for change to happen a little quicker. And so some things that would take, you know, this example of like changing, establishing a no idling zone, might have had to go through review and take six months or two years. I think we all realize as a society that things can happen quicker when we put our mind to it. And in many cases, we're, we're seeing, I think, less of a process or that process sped up for us to be able to move things forward so that's a plus totally and we pedestrianized our downtown primarily and had these big outdoor eating patios which were impossible to get a license for and now that basically that area in that core sort of crossroads is is mostly walking only now so not only are we cutting emissions we've got way more outdoor seating spaces for people it just so yeah Good things, good things are happening. And when you connect with different groups, and that's always my big thing, if anyone is doing any kind of business venture or program to connect with different, you know, either nonprofit or other business groups in your area and, and, and see what kind of um, collaboration ideas you can come up with. Well, we have been chatting and it has been fantastic, but as we sort of come towards the end of this, are there, Leah, are there any things you're looking forward to in the future or anything else you just want to share before we we sign off here? Or what are you looking forward to? Is there something you're looking forward to this year? It doesn't have to be work-related, it could be personal. August is my favourite month, so I'm really, like, trying to soak it in. To be in the moment. Not looking too far into the future. No, be in the moment. I, on a personal note, I am starting a forest school program in my local community that starts in September for a number of weeks. And so I'm really looking forward to getting that going nice. and seeing the, so we had a little session yesterday and it was very, very hot in late August. And I'm looking forward to like the change in the seasons and journeying through that with the participants and seeing how our space changes and how we interact with it changes as, as the time goes goes by so that's kind of what's top of mind in my life right now what's your forest school called it's called open view and it's based in lumsden saskatchewan beautiful how about you claire i'm looking forward to i guess taking the skiing programming that we developed last year to the next level so we were trying to do community building on skis and provide opportunity for interaction in the community, outdoor activity in the dark hours, that kind of thing. So one of the initiatives that we did, we partnered with the city of Saskatoon and the community association. So it was really collaborative. And we created like a mini loppet with activities along the way for kids. And it was very well received. The kids enjoyed it. And, you know, it was sort of, I guess, low, like we didn't staff it or anything. We just put the invitation to come out and there were these activities that kids could ski through. And so we're looking to grow that and I think purchase some of the like strap on skis and have them there so that families can just come out. And then the community association, you know, added their own element. And I think they will again this year. And it was just a real opportunity for neighbors to go and chat a ski. And so looking forward to, to scaling that as well as we had another one called ski experience. And it was kind of 
promoted as a conversation on skis in the dark. And we had a lot of interest and got some great feedback and we're going to, to grow it again. So yeah, pumped for ski season. That sounds super excited. I'm really, I'm really look, wanting to think about how I can develop experiences in the dark. I'd love to do lots of star watching and storytelling, but where I am, it's cloudy a lot, you know, like it snows a lot in the interior mountains. And I'm presuming because you're in Saskatchewan that you're Nordic skiing, right? Not downhill? Yes, yes, just, Nordic just, skiing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Just Not too many to mountains. So it was a leisure <laughs> ski. It was a leisure ski. We were chatting on our skis. Although saying that, Nordic skiing I've downhill skied my whole life in mountains and Nordic skiing which I only took up two three years ago is terrifying (laughs) to me because they are like toothpicks and whilst the hills are not very steep they don't look very steep when you are on the skis they feel very fast so I, I am on a big learning journey whereas talking less talking more sort of panicking is occurring but I'm getting better basically I need one of those programs. Good. Yeah, it was it was really well, well received because people were looking for an opportunity to do something low pressure, but where they could get together with people and have a conversation in the dark, in the winter. And, you know, it was really nice. Did you have lamps or anything or just head torches? Like, was there any kind of lit aspect or headlamps and some and sometimes a full moon and sometimes park lights but we what we did was we skied and tried to ski in different locations and then that provided a, almost like a directory for people to know the different places they could ski that's so cool and are these groomed trails or is it just natural yeah. spaces groomed trails and it so it would depend on what was groomed recently because we kept having you know unseasonable weather it was warm we'd have warm january days and and then also snowfalls and things so there's a lot of like oh yeah the the plan has changed (laughs) the plan has changed again (laughs) but it was it was certainly a good wellness piece for a lot of folks that's so cool i love that and again that intergenerational piece people for ages you got kids doing activities and just building another way for people to connect with that outdoor environment and that's so beautiful I think we've reached the end of our time together. Thank you so much, Lee and Claire, for joining us. And we'll put some links into the chat there so you can connect with Sask Outdoors or Wildernook Fresh Air Learning. And if you're ever in Saskatoon, the Punch Buggy Express. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll chat to you again soon on something. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jane. Thanks. Nice to see you again, Leah. And thanks, Ian. Thanks for coming out. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's Earthy Chat. You can find the resources featured in this podcast at the Outdoor Learning Store. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. You can also visit greenteacher.com for incredible educational resources and webinars. And cbean, that's c-b-e-e-n.org for a range of environmental resources, including professional development opportunities, grant information, and green jobs. Lastly, you can visit www.stotonscience.com to chat with me, Jade, about science workshops or educational consulting. Tune in next month for more cross-pollination of ideas and another fun, earthy chat.
sorry about some of the land of living sky question i just i so a little background information okay i because i was like it's sunsets for sure because that i'd never been to the saturn before and then i drove to pick up my dog from there and i couldn't like believe the expansive sunsets like we were just and it went on for hours Mm-hmm. And because ours all get trapped behind the monoshies, like mm. uh, they're just like it's gone before any of the fun yeah. happens, really. 